Welcome to The Climate Fix. My name is Asim. On this show, we shine a spotlight on nonprofits, academics, corporations, startups, anyone working on a solution to the climate problem. On this episode, recorded on the 7th of May 2020, I spoke to Natalia Peralta Silverstone from Octopus Electric Vehicles. Natalia is someone who is passionate about the transition to a zero carbon world. She focuses on partnerships and business strategy at Octopus Electric Vehicles, which is part of the Octopus Energy Group. They are helping drivers and businesses transition to electric transport by offering bundled solutions. So vehicle leasing, charging infrastructure, and green energy tariffs all bundled into one package which people can buy. Natalia has spent her career in the startup world with the last five years spent in the electric vehicle industry. Previous to Octopus, she helped position and grow PodPoint, now one of the leading electric vehicle charging manufacturers and network operators in the United Kingdom. For those of you listening not from the United Kingdom, Octopus Energy is a very forward-thinking UK energy supplier. All their electricity comes from green sources. Natalia was introduced to me through a friend in the climate community in London, and I'm really glad we connected. She knows a lot about the electric vehicle market and specifically about the real-world engineering and societal challenges to rolling out electric vehicles at scale. I've got to say, it's really refreshing and empowering to speak to people that are just getting on with the job of fixing the world. Let's dive straight in. Hi, Natalia. Welcome to the show. Hi, Asim. Thanks for having me. So what is the climate problem that you are solving? It's a great question. Um, so in a nutshell, we are trying to get dirty vehicles off the road, particularly dirty vehicles that are powered by extremely dirty energy. Um, so you, some of you might already know these stats, but in the UK, there are nearly 40 million vehicles on our road. So a lot of cars. Um, and out of that, there are only 200,000, a bit more than 200,000 plug-in vehicles. So that's pure battery electric vehicles and plug-in hybrid vehicles, which means they use a battery to drive the wheels um, and are hopefully powered by electricity and hopefully powered by clean electricity. Now, road transport accounts for a fifth of uh, emissions in the UK, which is an extraordinary amount. And shockingly, over the last 20 years, that hasn't improved. It's actually got slightly worse. So whilst the energy industry has been doing great strides and becoming cleaner, in the transport sector, we haven't really done much. So that's kind of the problem we're trying to tackle, the fact that we want to make transport cleaner. Oh, excellent. I had no idea it was a fifth of our total emissions was transport. It actually makes sense, actually, now that I think about it from the global percentages that I see, but yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it's those figures that are a bit kind of like, wow. And of course, that includes everything from like heavy goods vehicles through to kind of your passenger vehicle, but it's it's still a very big number. So how is Octopus Electric Vehicles helping to solve this? So to give you a bit of background, um, so Octopus Electric Vehicles is part of Octopus Energy. Um, and Octopus Energy is a tech energy company that was founded about four and a half years ago to um, offer really great customer service, to be fair, that was kind of at the crux of it, in an industry that doesn't always do that. 
but also to bring people on a journey um, towards a 100% renewable grid. And the way you do that is by engaging customers and helping them shift the way they use energy. And so as part of that, two years ago, Octopus Electric Vehicles was formed to address clean transport. So we can have green energy, that's amazing. And that's kind of the big picture we want to achieve, but electric cars can help enable that. Um, and a couple of years ago, and to be fair, it's still a problem. There was a massive lack of education in our industry. So there was no kind of one source to go to um, where you could get actual expert advice on electric cars, all types of electric cars, match make them to you based on kind of your profile and how far you drive and how you drive um, and answer all the questions around it. So how do I charge my car? Where do I charge my car? Um, what, like, how's it gonna affect my energy bills and what are the running costs gonna be? So we were born to address that and to help people on that journey. So offer them a great experience, make it really easy, get people excited about electric cars and kind of demystify the industry a little bit to actually um, highlight the fact that this is now a mature technology, uh, which is, is actually really suitable for a lot of people. And so I think there's a couple of specific offerings I saw from your website, which you have, which is you can lease me an electric vehicle. That's one of the things. Yep. But you also help me because one of the things I wonder, if I get an electric vehicle, do I just plug it? into my kitchens on the front of my house so just plug it into my kitchen but you also help it sounds like with the charging infrastructure yeah, exactly helping me decide that and figure that stuff out and are there any other services that you offer as well or so we we kind of we call it our bundle um but absolutely so you can come to us as an individual or as a business um and we will um present you with great leasing options so we work with a variety of funders in this market and so we will present you with great rates to lease a variety of electric vehicles but on top of that we will also bundle it with the right charging and energy proposition at home mainly at home we also dabble in kind of your workplace aspect and we can consult in that area but kind of our core today is kind of the home proposition so we will um, bundle that with a smart charging proposition. So a great way to charge your car. Um, it will charge it at kind of a, a good speed in a safe way and in a clever way. So it can help optimize against kind of an off-peak energy tariff, for example. And then we will pair it with the right energy tariff for you. So either a really cheap tariff, a green tariff, um, and therefore kind of answer all of those core questions when you're moving into this journey. Uh, we've also got some great partnerships in the public charging domain, so we can give you advice about where to charge, kind of what memberships to look at. Um, oh. We're dabbling in that space because we supply energy to a lot of the networks. So um, a lot of the charge point networks, the public ones that you see at kind of your supermarkets or your cinemas or at motorway service stations, we supply energy to them. So we can actually uh, look at some interesting solutions in that space which I can't publicly, publicly talk about today, but that's kind of where we're going with that. Oh, very interesting. I actually don't own an electric car, unfortunately, yet. Mm -hmm. It's on my radar. So this is all really, a lot of stuff is quite new to me. Wouldn't mind talking for a second about tariffs, because yep. I think one of the things I hear about when people buy electric vehicles for the first time is that you typically don't even pay much attention to the energy or the amount of energy that you're consuming in your home because it's not that much dollar-wise. But as soon as you buy an electric vehicle, it increases and then you really start thinking about well hang on when do i charge how do i charge what are the tariffs how do i pay attention to this yeah maybe you can talk a little bit about that absolutely so actually and it always has been so i've been in this industry about five years um and the most exciting thing for me is that ev is the gateway to people understanding their energy bills 
I would guarantee that most people, I mean, I include myself in this until very recently, would get their energy bill, they'd get a number, they're like, oh, I might feel a bit expensive. You pay it, you get on with your life. You don't really understand what a standing charge means or like what a kilowatt hour is. Um, but as soon as you uh, introduce an electric car into your home, you start to understand that because after your first month, you notice a serious increase in your energy bills. So a an electric car consumes about twice what your household consumes usually. So there's a big increase in your energy bills. And so people actually worry that it's going to be more expensive than putting petrol in your car. But actually, that's just not true. So um, if you switch to one of our tariffs that has been designed for EV drivers, you save 90% versus putting fuel into your car. That is an extraordinary saving. So the upfront cost of the car might be more expensive, but actually fueling it with electricity is much, much cheaper and much greener. Um, so that's kind of like the main thing that we kind of try and get across to people. Um, and also, I guess, just helping them to understand like what a kilowatt hour means, because actually what will happen is they'll take a kilowatt hour and they'll go now, actually a kilowatt hour equals X amount of miles in my car. And so they start to understand like how that energy affects something that they do daily. And then they look at their home and they go, actually, maybe if I put in like, LED light bulbs, actually, that saving is quite considerable. And actually, what I save there will, will put energy, you know, in parentheses into my car. And so it's, it's, it's really cool. And, you know, originally that like, the people who took up EVs were kind of your more tech savvy, more energy savvy people. But actually, nowadays, it's the everyday person who just wants a great car at a good rate, and potentially do something good for the environment, who then goes, oh, I can do so much more with this car. So it's an interesting journey. That's fantastic. And I also love the way you are enabling people to visualize mm -hmm. a kilowatt hour, which is one of my challenges I have when I talk about stuff like how do you visualize a kilo of carbon? Yeah. Things like that. Because if you can't visualize, it doesn't mean anything to you. I use like, a, imagine a kilo of ash in your hand is probably the best thing I use for that. Yeah. That's amazing. So we also spoke earlier on, I think we were talking before the podcast started about how there's a really unusual situation happening right now. Just for the recording, we're actually in the middle of COVID. I think for every single podcast recording I've said so far, I've said we're in the middle of COVID. But anyway, we're in the middle of COVID. That's affecting energy production and consumption. And you said that this weekend, there's something really interesting happening from Octopus Energy, at least. Yes, there is. So um, for those who don't know the energy markets, which I imagine is most people, because I didn't know anything either until I, I joined this world, um, People act in very similar ways, right? We uh, commute at the same times. We have breakfast at similar times. We um, operate working hours during the same time frames. We go home at the same time. We turn the oven on at the same time. We have showers at the same time, which makes sense, right? We work in a society that is nine to five usually uh, with factories working at the times that they do and people consuming whatever it is, whether it's food or their daily lifestyle the way they do. But what that means um, is that there's a very um, predictable pattern in energy use, which can be helpful to help maintain um, the right power supply throughout the day and the weeks and the year so that there's no blackouts. But it also means um, that we create constraints at certain periods, and they're always the same. So we create constraints on the grid within a morning peak. So you can kind of imagine an 8 to 10 a.m. periods. And then we create another constraint between your kind of 5 to 8 p.m. period. And that's all been good and well. We've been used to managing that supply for a long time and managing that demand and that balance. But with coronavirus, 
everyone is using energy differently. There is a lot less consumption from businesses and there is different consumption from home owners or home users. Um, so we can't predict it as well. And actually this weekend with the bank holiday weekend, um, there's going to be a lot of sun and a lot of wind on the grid. So for one, we've got a three day weekend with a lot of people within their homes. I want to say trapped within their homes, but you know, it sounds a bit, sounds a bit strict, but you know, you know what I mean? You can't really leave. So you're going to be in your house. You're going to be doing stuff in your house. Um, it's going to be a nice weekend in the UK, which is, yeah, I'm very grateful for. Um, but it means that we're going to have loads of renewable energy on the grid. So we're going to have more generation than there will be consumption. And the consumption isn't as predictable. So there will be some lags in the system. And what that can do is throw the energy system balance off kilter. And if that happens, blackouts happen. So we want to help avoid that. And so as an energy company, we install lots of smart meters in people's homes, which means we get um, data on energy consumption every half hour throughout that day from your house. And it means we can then incentivize you to use energy at specific times to help balance the grid. So for example, this weekend, we're incentivizing people between uh, 2 and 3 p.m. on Sunday, which is when we predict that, predict that there will be too much energy, but a lot of sun and a lot of wind, but actually nowhere near enough consumption because Sundays are quiet days usually. Uh, um, and we're going to pay you to use energy. So we're going to pay you 5p a kilowatt hour if you're one of our customers with a smart meter doing this trial. Um, to incentivize you to plug in your car, use your washing machine, put your dishwasher on, bake some bread in the oven, anything that you want to do that uses energy. And what that will allow us to do as an energy company is to trade with that demand back into the grid and make some money, which is how we pay you. And that is kind of the principle behind a smarter energy system. And EVs, an electric car, play a huge role in that because they consume so much energy. So they, they, whilst they can create an issue, if you, everyone plugs in at the same time, they're also the solution because they can consume a lot of energy at different times. Hopefully I didn't confuse you too much with that, but it's a very exciting part of kind of the electric car world and the energy part. Yeah, so one of the things I realized fairly recently was that an oversupply of electricity mm -hmm. causes blackouts, which for me was counterintuitive. I don't know why I had this impression, but I had an impression of blackout was like, electricity just stopped producing but actually it's like a, a circuit breaker if there's too much electricity we break the circuit to stop it so actually producing too much electricity is bad and so what you're doing is or what you're offering is hey use more of it at this time and you're going to help save the system exactly and you get paid for it which is a win-win so you're helping save the system and you're also winning it exactly and that's kind of what your smart metering is it sounds like doing can you do it so i believe correct me if I'm wrong, but your smart meters, if I was to connect my electric car to your smart charger, I should say, mm -hmm. will it turn on charging at two to three for me? Or is that how it works? So at the moment, no. So the control is in um, the consumer's hands. But what, for example, the smart charger will do, at least the partner that we work with, is allow you to program it, right? So rather than you having to wait in your house until 2 p.m. for it to start charging, you can tell it on Sunday, I want my car to start charging at two and finish at three. So it will just use energy during that period. Um, I think we will end up in a world where we optimize on behalf of the customer because that's what people want. They want to opt into a service that does it all for them in a really clever way to reduce how much they're paying and actually to help the grid by being greener um, or even be paid actually to use energy in a, in a good way. 
So today it's in the hands of the consumer, but I think eventually that will kind of be optimized for them. Yeah, that's brilliant. So you mentioned earlier on that one of the challenges that you've had is to dispel some myths that people have had about electric vehicles. What are some of those myths that you've had to dispel? What are some of the more common myths you've had to dispel? There's so many of them. Um, one of my favorites is, um, can I drive my electric car in the brain? I mean, surely not. It's there's like electrical components in there. Can I drive it through through a puddle or a flood? Which I, I kind of get it, right? It's because people don't don't visualize what that technology really is, which yeah. is like any other car on the road. The answer is you absolutely can. It's absolutely safe. Um, they are designed to work like every other car on the road. Um, Yes, if you drive through a lot of water and you get water everywhere in the car and it floods the car, it's probably going to be an issue, but you would have the same for a petrol or diesel car. So that's one of my favorite ones. Um, I think another one is always around range. And, and by range, I mean how far these cars go. So um, there's the st the still uh, a concept, and, it, and it's a bit more rare now, but the, an electric car is essentially a, like a, a golf buggy or a milk cart, that they're not your everyday car that you see driving down the motorway. Um, so people think they don't go very far, um, which to be fair, like first generation electric cars 10 years ago on a cold day with your heating on might have only done 60 or 70 miles, right? Which actually on the basis that UK daily mileage is about 20 to 25 miles is actually fine for a lot of people, but I can understand that people don't want that car as their everyday car. However, today, the range on most electric cars is around 200 miles, and some cars can do up to 350, using them as you would use any other car, driving the way you usually would, and using all of the technology within that car, you know, whether it's the radio or the heating or the air conditioning. So that's another one, getting people to understand that these aren't just kind of your random one-off cars, but they look like every other car, and they perform like every other car. In fact, they perform better because they drive faster, they drive quieter, they drive smoother. So that's... The kind of the other big one yeah everyone i know who has switched to an electric car would say they would never go back mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a wonderful experience it is that's the consensus we, we get and uh, yeah 200 miles is absolutely fine totally yeah i mean i say that 200 miles is about the amount of time where your bladder will tell you you want to stop anyway so you'll stop you'll charge and off you go again <laughs> there you go and you can charge, and that's something interesting as well about how the charging of electric vehicles, because there's different ratings of charges, mm -hmm. isn't there? And this is where you have to learn about kilowatts as well. Yep. So there's a three, seven, why don't you tell me what, what are the different types of charges? Uh, so the, the most common type of charger that you get kind of at home and at offices is a seven kilowatt charger. And to put that into kind of a more understandable kind of um, figure that will, if you plug that into an electric car that can draw that amount of power, which is pretty much every electric car today, pure electric car rather than hybrid, um, it will put into the battery about 25 miles worth of range. So for every hour plugged in to a seven kilowatt charger, you get about 25 miles of range in your car, which is actually more than enough if you think about the fact that cars are stationary 90% 90, 90 of their time. So you want to charge your car when you're busy doing other stuff. So you're either asleep in bed or you're at work and it's sat in the car park, not doing anything. And therefore you put in a top up charge into it. The other type of charger worth mentioning, is kind of your high power charging. So when you are doing that long distance strip and you stop off at the motorway, you want to be able to put energy into your car much faster than at seven kilowatts. 
So you move into kind of your 50 kilowatt to 350 kilowatt range, um, which will, on most batteries today, will charge your car to about 80% um, within 30 to 40 minutes on the 50 kilowatt charger. And then on the 350 kilowatt charger, which is the new generation of charger coming to market or has come to market actually, um, you reduce that to about 15 minutes. So actually that ticks the box for most people. Because yes, it's not as quite as quick as putting in fuel. You know, that's, that's probably in your three to five minute range. Um, but the truth is that if you're doing a long distance journey, which is when you need that kind of charging, you're going to stop, going to go for a wee, you're going to grab a coffee, you're going to grab a bite to eat. So, yeah. And are there trade-offs in terms of, because I think one thing we never really covered in this podcast so far, actually, in this episode at least, and it's my fault, is the connection between energy and the climate, I suppose, is something we haven't quite made the connection to, although I think the listeners are aware of that connection. But yeah, basically, the production of electricity oftentimes is produced through fossil fuels. It is. So therefore, one of the things is that, especially if you're doing kind of the charging on the Sunday, mm-hmm. when you're getting paid for it, that electricity is coming from renewables. Yeah. So you're doing that. That's good for the grid. Is there a trade-off in terms of that with the 7 kilowatt and the 350 kilowatt? Is one more greener than the other or...? Not really. Um, so your energy is as green as the grid is at that particular time of the day. So um, yeah. it, ultimately, in very simple terms, we generate energy from lots of different ways, whether it's coal or solar or wind or hydro or biomass. And that all gets mixed into the grid. And then that's the kind of the energy mix that comes into your home. And actually, it varies slightly regionally. So um, actually, if you take this scenario on Sunday, Actually, it would be great for people to go to rapid chargers and charge between 2 and 3 p.m. if that's when we think that the grid needs consumption. So actually, in that scenario, a high-powered charger can be really useful, right, to consume more energy. Now, our grid isn't quite clever enough yet to optimize all of this, which is why there's a lot of technology companies in this space optimizing it and introducing metering and intelligent tariffs, and ways of connecting the system so that we can balance this. Um, but but the truth is, is that actually our energy supply is always going to get greener, right? Like the trajectory for our energy supply and generation is continuously getting greener year on year. In fact, in the UK, we've spent the last month without generating coal, which is incredible. And if you then think about petrol or diesel, that's never really going to get cleaner. There are slight improvements, right, in particulate matter and, and kind of on that spectrum, but it's just just not going to get cleaner um whereas electricity will and we're really confident that the uk will will reach their net zero ambitions and and actually end up with a 100 percent renewable grid which evs will actually help because we can use them as storage batteries as well so when there is loads of solar on the grids but there is not enough consumption we can charge up loads of batteries and then in the future vehicle to grid will likely be a mature technology and then we'll use those batteries to discharge back into the grid overnight when there is no solar so it's also a big opportunity in terms of battery storage. Because that's basically the challenge that we have with the electricity right now in that coal and gas and these other fossil fuel powered power stations, their disadvantage is that they're pumping carbon into the atmosphere, but their advantage is that they're controllable yep. and they're predictable mm-hmm. and you can increase and decrease load depending on demand. Yep. But the great thing about renewables and wind and solar is that they're incredibly clean but unpredictable. So when you talk about smartening of the grid, we're talking about how do we create a grid that is capable of 
dealing with that unpredictability because unless yeah. we can deal with the unpredictability we'll never get to 100 percent renewable absolutely and that's where electric vehicles and the work that you're doing is so important because what you described just before was like i read something before like fully charged batteries like a week's worth or a day's worth of energy for a household yeah so it'll do more than a day for a household a full we'll do more than a day yeah yeah which is amazing and you were describing before you can charge it and then if you can put that back into the grid your car can be like a money-making device. So mm -hmm. you can take from the grid when you get paid on the Sunday. Yep. And then you can keep it in your car. Mm -hmm. and then you can put it back into the grid when people need it later on. Not only are you making money, but you're also balancing out this renewable energy, which is helping people to get to the greener future. You have just described the utopia that I see in the future around energy and cars. That's exactly how it should work. Um, and that's what we're really excited about. And it's why Octopus Electric Vehicles exists within an energy company that's so focused on renewables um, and a company that's so focused on technology because all of this needs to happen uh, together. Um, so absolutely, that, that is, I genuinely believe that that is the world we will live in probably in 10 years, like genuinely. Yeah. So talking about that, let's talk a little bit about, because you mentioned right now, we still got a bit of a way to go. We do. How would Octopus Electric Vehicles and perhaps the whole industry as a whole, mm -hmm. how would that scale from where we are right now to the maximum impact, which you probably just described, actually? Yep. Yeah, how would that scale? So I think there's going to be a huge transformation, which is already happening, right? And it's across various sectors. So the automotive sector is rapidly changing. They are realizing um, that they have to introduce clean technologies, that the electrification of the passenger vehicle, at least, is the way forward. So they're investing a whole load of money into that and producing those vehicles at scale in a profitable way. Um, but they are also realizing that the business opportunity around cars is changing. So it's not, it's not just about selling cars outright anymore. It's about offering different mobility services. And so within that, they think about, well, then where's the money and the margin to, me, to be made? So they're then looking at the energy sector. So take, take someone like Volkswagen. They have started their own energy retail arm, right? So they've set up a company called Ellie, oh. which tells you that that traditionally industries are no longer going to be traditional if they want to exist in 10 or 20 years time, right? Because all of these sectors become one and the same and the value proposition changes. So you need to be able to flex and play in those different areas in order to be profitable in the future. So one of them is industry is transforming and, and the energy sector, you know, which we're in absolutely needs to change. So to reach this smart world, there needs to be you know, a transformation in digital systems and connectivity and like oversight of how energy is used, which is why the smart meter rollout is quite important. Um, and then whilst all of this happens at an industry level, it's about bringing people on that journey, the customers, the end users on that journey with you. And that I think is where there's the biggest opportunity for a company like ours, you know, a company that can translate all of this kind of big picture, complicated stuff into a understandable and exciting opportunity and and not only that a, a simple you know a simple thing to use and do mm. so we're super excited you know like we're quite happily going around and disrupting different bits but we're also um up for collaboration you know and helping companies transform which in the future may be our competitors but actually if we want to achieve this end goal we need to help them change too because we're never going to monopolize the market and actually we don't want to Competition is healthy. So a, a lot of companies look at it sometimes. It's like, but but why are you helping others do what do what you do? You know, like why are you like licensing your systems to them? And you're like, well, 
we want to get to this 100% renewable grid. We want to get to a place where consumers are engaged. We're not going to do it on our own, so we might as well help others do it. Hope that answers your question. That does. That's fantastic. That's a great driver for the firm as well. Mm -hmm. Electricity, I've discovered, is extremely complex. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, simplifying that. And I think I understand now with electric vehicles, it forces you a little bit to understand more of that world. And then you can bring them the rest of the way by mm -hmm. simplifying the rest. And I've heard, I don't know, I'm probably going to get the companies completely wrong. It's okay. In which case, I do apologize to whoever the companies are. I heard that some manufacturers have actually stopped the R&D Mm -hmm. of their internal combustion engine vehicles are now fully working into electric vehicles. I think I'm going to throw BMW out there. I don't know if it's BMW or someone else, but I've heard that companies have actually started to announce that. They have. So pretty much every major car manufacturer has now committed to the electrification of their passenger vehicle segment. So, you know, it's kind of your everyday car that we drive rather than kind of your heavy goods side. They're still figuring that one out. But yeah, they, they've committed to certain targets. Um, obviously, like the, the EU um, kind of carbon emission targets also have a major impact on the automotive sector. So they, they kind of have to produce and sell these vehicles. Otherwise, they get major fines, which helps. Um, but also things like Dieselgate helped. Um, it kind of made them have to shift a different way. Oh, Dieselgate was the Volkswagen. Exactly. The Volkswagen Group scandal around uh, reporting the wrong emission levels, essentially. Um, so they, they seemed much cleaner than they actually were, essentially. Um, but it's if you think about um, the, the R&D cycle of a vehicle, it's usually kind of four to five years. So actually, they need to think about now what they're going to be doing in the mid-2020s. And they know for a fact that by the mid-2020s, they will have no choice but to sell clean cars. Because in order for governments to reach their, reach their ambitions around decarbonization, they're going to have to do that. Or quite honestly, they won't be able to sell them into the market. So they have to be committing to these things now. So there's a regulatory aspect to it as well. So they're predicting the regulations are going to change or become even more stricter. So to stay competitive, exactly. they're going to have to move to electric. And that's going to position you and your company in a really good place as well. It's, yeah. And, and, and you know, we, we you know, like, like all companies, we, we play our part in kind of policymaking and government kind of lobbying. Um, but it's it's just, I feel like in the last 12 months, it's it's really hit home that if we want to address the climate problem, we need to be doing stuff now. We can't wait another year. We can't wait another five years. We need to change now because there is so much that needs to change, you know, at both kind of a consumer level, but at an industry level. So yeah, particularly in the UK, which is kind of the, the, our biggest market at the moment, um, there is just so much focus and attention from government, but there's actually so much noise, you know, on the news um, in kind of day-to-day -day conversations that people are having around the, the fact that we're living in a world that if we that if we don't start doing thing, doing things differently, our world will not look like this for much longer, um, which which is scary, but it's also exciting. It's a, it's a massive motivator to know that we can still change this, we can still improve this. We just need to get on with it. Yeah. So there's an article I read. I think it was Carbon Brief mm -hmm. released a, a report, an article about how because of COVIDs, we're only down eight percent. Mm -hmm. on global carbon emissions, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of an interesting statement because it tells us, A, all of COVID, everything's happened in the world, we've only done 8%. Mm -hmm. And we need to get to 100% by 2030. And I think that's like a wake-up call for people that the scale of the problem that we have before us and the things that we need to do to get us there. But also COVID has taught us that 
the air is the cleanest it's ever been. Yes, it is. For all of our lives, mm -hmm. the cities that can see across the other side of the city for the first time, you know, in a very long time. Are you hearing messages about that with electric vehicles? It seems to me that that would be a real boon for electric vehicles moving forward. Absolutely. I mean, and I know we're living through a really difficult time in, in society right now, right, on, on various levels. But actually, when I look at the news and I read those articles on kind of air quality and the fact that it's improved massively and that actually just over the last two months, it predicts that it saved 10,000 people's lives because the air quality is better in cities. That is incredible. And, you know, electric vehicles, you know, lots of people want to dispute the whether it's the viability or how clean they are kind of from cradle to grave. But you cannot dispute that there are zero tailpipe emissions that from an air quality perspective, they are always going to be a massive win. And, and this proves it to us. This has been a massive kind of science experiment in one way. Um, and and I, I, what, I, what I'm really excited about is that I think it will resonate with the day-to-day -day person. It'll be like, oh, actually, that, I, I, I can understand that now. And so maybe when I do buy my next car, I will think about this and it will actually matter. Yeah, I hope so. We talked about kind of scaling and how does it scale up? And that's my dream and my vision. But what are some of the risks that you see from now to end? What could derail this momentum into electrifying the world, into electric vehicles? Well, that's a great question. I mean, coronavirus, is that valid? Uh, yeah, that's true as well. You know, um, so, so, in, so some interesting stats in the UK. So in April, um, new car sales across kind of your petrol and diesel have dropped by like 98%, okay, versus last year. Wow. And actually in the EV space, that's only dropped by 9% since last year. Oh. So 38% of new car sales in April were electric, okay? And obviously that's because there's a much smaller total number that have been sold in that month. But it shows you that actually the dent in electric has been less seriously affected. Okay, one, because there's actually much more demand than supply at the moment. So that's kind of still pushing us throughout this period. Um, the other one, you know, the, the, um, the ideal in me thinks that, you know, it's because people are making better choices. Um, so, so there's that factor. Um, I think policy needs to continue to be stronger in this space to continue to kind of move this industry forward at least for the next two or three years. So um, for example, the EU carbon emission rules that has the same place we can't delay any of this because of coronavirus for example we need to put the expectation that industry will catch up um but if they don't i do think it can have a material impact um and i think this is an opportunity also for for government to actually even i guess get stricter or not even stricter but just get a bit punchier with it because out of this out of this environment we can incentivize the right industries to to become more prosperous so even though this is difficult and it, coronavirus could have a negative impact on EVs, it also has the opportunity to be kind of a, a great driver for them. Um, other, other things, I mean, you know, ultimately the, the car manufacturers need to come up with the right tech and the right products that people want to buy. So doing that fast enough. Um, but actually, I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion now that electric cars are, are, the, are the future genuinely, genuinely like it's, it's the present and it's very much the future. Um, so we're not really worried in terms of are consumers going to want them. It's, it's, it's going to be what, what's reality and people 
want them now and they will continue to want them in the future when there's all the choice in the world and the right price and the right infrastructure. Yeah. So I hear what you're saying. So shocks are a risk, but it feels like it disproportionately affects the internal combustion engine market more than the EV market, which makes sense, actually. I think that if you're committing to buying an electric vehicle, you're committing to buying an electric vehicle. Yeah, exactly. And your policy changes as well. Yeah. No, interesting. So let me move on a little bit. So I really want to find out more about Octopus Electric vehicles and the parent company and kind of how did this it's all amazing and it sounds like you're all really passionate not to just make vast amounts of money but to like save we would like to do that too for the record <laughs> yeah <laughs> well yeah of course you do of course you do. everybody wants to do that and it's good that people do that because then that drives more and more attention and yeah. i think we need to really big successes in this space that drives a lot of talent and attention into it. So can you talk about the birth of Octopus Electric Vehicles and what inspired you to join it? And yeah, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so Octopus EV, which is what we called it, um, rather than Octopus Electric Vehicles, uh, started about two and a half, it's probably two and a half years ago now. Um, and I joined it just over a year ago. So the, the birth of Octopus Electric Vehicles came from kind of what I touched upon right at the beginning around kind of that lack of education. And actually our CEO walked into a dealership and I won't do, I won't mention the car manufacturer. Um, she walked into a dealership once and she wanted to inquire about EVs. So she'd always been passionate about, about kind of clean transport um, since she'd kind of been at university. Um, and she walked in and she said, look, I've got a family. I'm looking for this sort of car. I'm interested in this electric car. What can you tell me about it? And the dealership tried to sell her on an alternative vehicle, it was a, a petrol vehicle, um, and just really was not interested in, in selling that electric car. And in fairness, it's because they know less about those cars. Uh, at the moment, they make less money on those cars. They just weren't incentivized to sell it. Uh, um, and it's a much more complex product to understand when you factor in kind of charging and energy and all of those different elements. So kind of can understand it. And you know, this was about three years ago now, however, it, it, it just continues to show that there were now technologies in the market which people wanted to buy and that were great, but there was no one really there championing them or not enough people championing them. So that's where we were born from, to actually educate people to get this messaging out there about kind of EVs and how great they are and how green they are. And, 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 and from there, actually, where we started was doing events, which we still do. We did events around the country at kind of high footfall places, bringing cars and experts and talking to people about it. And then off the back of that, obviously, the natural question that they asked us is like, well, where can we buy one? And we thought, well, well, actually, we might as well sell these cars. Uh, um, so we, um, we then got licensed with the FCA. So we're regulated by the FCA uh, um, and started brokering the sale of electric vehicles. And, it, you know, it started with tiny numbers. You know, selling three cars a month was like, oh, my God, we've sold three cars a month. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then very rapidly, we, like our parent company, Octopus Energy, they were, you know, they, they've got 1.5 million customers now. They've grown exponentially over the last four and a half years. So we were kind of piggybacking off that brand as well and the fact that they were growing massively and therefore our brand was growing rapidly. Um, and a lot of people were coming to us. So at that point, it was like, we've kind of proven that there's a need here. There's definitely demand for it. Um, we can definitely do things differently and be true experts in this space. 
And that's kind of where, where we were born from. So when I joined, there was about 10 employees. We're now 25. Um, I had spent four years working in the charging side of the industry. So in electric vehicle charging, which within my roles, I'd kind of always been in commercial functions. I ended up in a more of like an external affairs role. I'd been exposed to lots of areas of the industry, you know, like on the energy side, uh, on the automotive side, on the charging side, on um, kind of the installation and infrastructure piece. And I realized that I was super interested in kind of where all of these things came together. And Octopus Electric Vehicles actually was kind of a perfect mix of those things, right? So um, still working in a technology, which I think is probably one of the most destructive things uh, my generation will live through. You know, being at the start of um, a true change in the way we live, in the way we buy, in a product. Um, and it was backed by this amazing energy company with this incredible culture. Um, honestly, it was a no-brainer. And actually, um, to, to be honest, I, they, I, I was offered a role and um, I decided I wanted to take some time out. So I actually went on sabbatical for six months. And then when I came back, I went knocking on their door again and they offered me the role again. So it kind of always felt like a bit meant to be. Yeah, it sounds quite an inspirational place to work and a time to work it feels like you've got a lot of energy you feel like you're part of a disruptive movement absolutely that's changing the world yeah absolutely and it's so, i know it sounds cheesy i know it sounds cheesy but it really it really does feel like we we have a, a very real opportunity to change things i mean we already are um but this group of companies with like the the mix of people and the tech and the brands and we, we just we just actually closed some investment last week um, that opportunity to actually go global oh, is just thank you is um yeah i mean i feel very privileged to to be to be a part of it oh fantastic so let me end on this so what we do is hard or what i find it quite hard dealing with the climate is oftentimes a pretty serious topic in our minds and you can meet a lot of resistance especially with what you're doing as well with all the myths and the problems in trying to get electric vehicles adopted in the uk what are some of the things that keep you motivated through the tough times and to keep going forward? It's a great question, especially now. It all feels a little bit harder in the world we live in with coronavirus. Um, you know what, growing a business is really challenging, um, especially when there is kind of no blueprint about how you do it. Like you can't look to others and be like, there's space in that market and they do it that way, so we're just going to do it the same way, right? You've got to come up with new ways of doing things. Growing a team and people and all the dynamics that come with that, it's hard. But actually, it's the people that really keep me going on a day to day. So, you know, I, I, I'm passionate about kind of our, our bigger picture and our mission um, and why we're doing things. So that kind of gets you through those slightly difficult moments or those uncertain moments when you're like, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing it in the right way? And I turn to people and, and by people, I mean, you know, my colleagues uh, who you, you kind of kind of rely on and bounce on and know they're in it with you. Um, but also our business partners and knowing that there are so many other people in this space trying to achieve the same things that you want to achieve for, for very similar reasons but then also kind of your family and your friends and kind of kind of this future world that you want to live in and go actually like let's take a step back yes it's been a hard week but I want to live in this world I care about all of these people and therefore actually what I'm doing is going to help that and it's only a part of the puzzle but that's kind of what get gets me through and again I know it's cheesy and I know it's very general 
and I, I'm sure I could give you more specific things in terms of like, should we do meditation every day or whatever it might be? Um, <laughs> but that's kind of, it's reminding myself about that. And sometimes you forget, you do. You just get stuck into the day-to-day. But it's remembering that bigger picture and, and the fact that it, it, it matters. I think I've heard you say it a couple of times actually on this podcast already, which is you're, you're visualizing this future. And we talked about it several times and you see it and you see it in your mind and you just mentioned it now as well. Like that's the future that you see. And that gives me motivation as well as to think about the positiveness and the future that we could have. I always say one of the things I say is being green is about making a decision about the kind of future that you want. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and, and I'm not perfect. There is so much other stuff I could do in my day to day life to be greener. That's the truth. And, and, it, and that matters as well. What can I do day to day in my life? that has an impact, whether it's eating less meat and dairy, or whether it's recycling more, or whether it's uh, buying less clothes, whatever it might be. We can all have do d- different things in that. But kind of day-to-day work-wise, that's, that's my main one. And actually, you touched upon a positive future, and actually your outlook. You know, I consider myself, for the most part, an optimist. That massively helps, because sometimes it can seem really daunting. It's like, oh, really? are we really going to change all of these things? Why not? Like we never thought we'd be walking around today with a little, with a supercomputer in our hands, but we are. So why can't we have a future where, you know, we've got a, a clean world where we're not damaging it? That's absolutely true. If we can walk around with a supercomputer in our hands, we can fix pretty much everything else. Yeah, great point. So just my last question, I'd just like to ask this. Is there anything inspirational, something you've read recently, a, a person our listeners should follow, or just even a thought you've had that you want to leave everybody with before we finish? So I was having a think about this. And actually th- this week I um, I watched a short TED talk. It's only five minutes long by um, Patty McCord. So she so she built the culture at Netflix. And some of you m- may have, have already watched it. Um, but it's called Eight Lessons on Building a Company People Enjoy Working For. And I loved it. It was such a simple way of... Um, explaining why some of these major new businesses are so successful you know and it's the culture they build and it's the people they hire and it's the way they operate and it's the way that they ensure that the people who are building this company and building the future are happy and motivated and healthy so highly recommend it it's um you know less about climate but you can apply it in terms of like how we achieve that world because you kind of need really successful businesses to do that um so yeah that that really resonated to me and for anyone kind of in a in a world where they're growing a business and growing teams of people it it was it was something aspirational and I i feel like we're actually kind of in that world but there's always more stuff you can work in Fantastic. I will definitely go and watch that TED Talk myself immediately after Great. this podcast. Thank you very much, Natalia, for being on the show. And thank you for everything that you're doing in Octopus EV to move us in the right direction. No, at all. Thank you so much for inviting us on. You've been listening to Asim Hussain on The Climate Fix. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast application. It really does help. Information about this episode, including all the links that we mentioned, can be found on our website, theclimatefix.com. If you want to message me, you can find me on Twitter as jawache, or you can email me at hello at theclimatefix.com. 
if you want each new episode neatly packaged together with the show notes and sent to your inbox weekly, then subscribe to our newsletter, which you can again find on theclimatefix.com. Till next time.